to uh, a language that has never had the Word of God translated before. And um, I'm going to ask, uh, actually, Doug and or Beth to share with us just a couple of moments about what's happening there. And uh, come over here. I'll, we'll frame your pretty wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll get organized. Uh, first of all, Beth and I and our kids want to thank you so much for your love and support in uh, this valley that we've been going through in the loss of our daughter, Sarah. And uh, I want to tell you that God has been pouring out his love and his comfort every day in amazing ways. And, and I believe your prayers are a lot to do with that. Uh, we, we didn't really uh, think we'd have the strength to make this trip two months ago. And uh, God had different ideas. Here we are getting ready to go tomorrow. And uh, Beth and, and Rachel and Daniel get to go with us. God has opened a way for our two kids to go with us. So you can imagine uh, that he's got plans in mind for our family to go back to our old family home in, in the village of Todra where we spent six years, the kids growing up. And we left there the last time as a family because we were evacuated due to war 19 years ago. And the kids have never been back to their, fam their childhood home since then. So you can imagine God has plans for healing for our family, uh, especially Daniel. Daniel and Rachel, please pray for Daniel because he's struggling big time with his faith uh, because of, of our loss. And uh, God is just going to help him find his faith. And uh, then we're going to be rejoicing with the Logo people because they're receiving the New Testament and their language for the first time in their history. And, and that took 23 years of um, literally blood, sweat, and tears. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, uh, you know, this is a big moment for the Logo people because they're going to be faced with this huge sign of God's love for them and his faithfulness. You know, his word came to them in spite of all these sacrifices. Two translators died in the process of translating that Bible. And they're going to be faced with that response. What do they do now with, with this book, with God's word in their own mother tongue and their heart language? So pray for a great... Just a, a great conviction in their hearts that they need to use this now. They need to get into God's word and they need to let that word transform their lives. And, and pray for our family at the same time for that healing. Beth and the kids will be there 11 days and I'll be there 18 days because I'll be helping um, another language, uh, the Mongbetu people with their New Testament in the book of Acts. I wanted to wear one of my African outfits but I'm only allowed 20 kilos. That's 44 pounds because of flying in Congo, so everything is very neatly packed and weighed. I didn't want to mess it up, sorry. <laughs> Before we uh, pray for Doug and uh, Beth, uh, Heidi, would you come up and tell us about these little crosses and some of the ministry that will be uh, traveling with them, presumably? Um, we want to pray for you and for them as well. Right here. Thank you for this honor. God's been with this Logotee translation of the Bible ministry from the beginning. God gave a member of our church the idea to crochet Bible bookmarkers and another member to do the needlepoint salvation crosses. Our amazing God sent us people from the young to the old, male and females, to complete this task. A thousand crosses have been made, and we're asking the congregation to join us in prayer to bless the crosses that will go with the local tea Bibles 
for all the preachers and their wives to glorify God. See, this is another sign of God's love because the first thousand New Testaments will have this for free. And I guarantee you there will be a run on the first thousand <laughs> because of these beautiful crosses. And, and that's a sign of their labor of love and their sacrifice of love. They spent two years making these. So everybody has a part in the gospel. Well, let's uh, uh, have some of you come. I w I'd like for you to come up and stand behind them. Any of you who would like to, some of our elders, some of you are close with them. Don't uh, crowd them in front, but get up on the, the, the worship platform stairs. Come on up and back of them. There you go. Let's just pray for Doug and Beth. Pray for the crosses as they'll be. Ascent is a sign of, of God's love. Pray that the Word of God would have its um, place in the hearts of generations yet to come. Lord, we thank you that your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you, Lord, that you tell us that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and able to pierce to the division of heart and soul, spirit and marrow, joint and marrow. God, that your word uh, has been sent that we might be uh, healed. That means saved and healed and delivered. You are the author of salvation. And God, we thank you for Doug and for Beth. We thank you, Lord, for the labor that uh, they have uh, put forth over these years for the sacrifices for all of the team members, Lord, and the losses of many throughout this. And yet, Lord, you are always faithful. And Lord, it is probably only in eternity that we will fully understand the, the greatness and the glory uh, that you have accomplished through normal people like, uh, like Beth and like Doug, like the other translators. Lord, we just ask that you would surround them with your love, that you would protect them as they travel, that their time there would be very special with their whole family. And Lord, we know that there is rejoicing even in the heavenly realm as there will be many who are turned to faith uh, because of their labors. And, uh, Lord, we know that uh, Sarah even rejoices with those in the heavenly realm right now. So, God, we just pray your blessings upon them that you would so fill their hearts unto overflowing, God, that you would be seen. Lord, every place they go, God, give them not even a care of what they should speak. For the effervescent glory of your presence will be diffused through them, even the aroma of Christ, because you are in them, God, and it is you who is bringing about your good pleasure with them. So bless them, encourage them, bring them back fortified and strengthened with uh, the rejoicing of heaven, Lord, that another tribe, another nation another people group have heard the wonderful name of Jesus. And we thank you, God. Lord, use these crosses every place they're seen. Lord, that they would be cherished. Lord, such a small thing, and yet you can use the small things, the weak things, to confound the wise. Let fresh anointing arise upon your word, upon the symbols, the figures of your word. And let there be hundreds of thousands, and in the years to come, Lord, even millions of people in the kingdom, because they have said, here am I, send us. We give you praise, and we give you thanks now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I, I saw a vision, a great conflagration in the midst of Africa as a result of what they did.
Well, that really is a sermon, isn't it? <laughs> okay, let's stand for the benediction. Let's <laughs> tease. I'll share for just a few minutes here. You know, it's such a privilege to be in the midst of the church, the church of the firstborn. Of course, Jesus is the the firstborn, and it is because of him and what he has done that there is a church around the globe. You will remember that Jesus said, um, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And she, the church, looks very different than the way uh, we see the church here today. In other words, we have a snapshot of what the church looks like by virtue of building and by virtue of what we do. But the church is very different than that as, as Jesus expresses his life um, around the globe. Uh, the, the church of Jesus uh, sings sometimes in Chinese. Uh, they, they sing sometimes in African dialects. The church of Jesus sometimes shows up with, uh, with dirty feet and and sandals, and, and sometimes very little other than that in some places. And, and all of that is simply to say um, uh, God is taking this entity called the church and he's working it into the fabric of the nations of the earth, and she looks differently every place. And yet from the perspective of God, uh, she, the church, uh, is a radiant bride, Without spot, he sees her without wrinkle. He sees her perfect. Though we don't see ourselves that way, God sees us that way. He calls us holy. He calls us blameless. And he calls us beyond reproach because of what Jesus has done, the finished work of the cross. Now, is that amazing or what? Um, well, this, this morning I want to uh, share just briefly... Uh, we've been looking at the thriving church, and um, I want to read, I, I've been considering, you know, what makes the church thrive everywhere it exists? And I want to read, well, probably more than we normally do on a Sunday morning, but if you'll turn to Acts chapter 2, I want to read a good chunk of this scripture. And then just comment briefly, if I may, beginning at verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James, by the way, if your translation is just a bit different than mine. Now you remember that Jesus had gone to a cross and he was crucified, dead and buried. Uh, but he was raised from the dead. That's why he's called the firstborn from the dead. And if there's a firstborn, it is certain that there will be a secondborn. That's you. That's us. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we too shall be raised from the dead. Well, uh, Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait until the promise of the Father. And uh, they did just that, in fact. And some seven weeks after Jesus uh, was um, raised and ascended back to the Father... Lo and behold, just as he promised, the day of Pentecost came. Verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Just waiting. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them... Uh, divided tongues. It looked tongues of fire, and it sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other languages, other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem uh, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and when this sound occurred, a multitude came running together. And they were confused because everyone had heard them speak in their own language. And they were, they were all amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, uh, Look, are all these uh, who speak uh, Galileans? 
and how is it that we hear each one of them in our own language in which we were born? And then they were all listed there. There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites dwelling in Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Eda, etc., etc., Cretans and Arabs. They hear them speaking in their own language the wonderful works of God. And verse 12 says, They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, um, whatever could this mean? But, of course, they're always the mockers, and the mockers were standing around, and they said, oh, they're drunk. They're full of new wine. You can see it happening the same way today. If God did something, there'd be those who were, who were uh, engaged, and they understood and were interested in, and there would be the mockers. And then verse 14, Peter, standing up with the other eleven, uh, raised his voice and he said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only well, about nine in the morning, the th third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then Peter quotes Joel. Uh, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, men of Israel, hear these words, uh, Peter said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put him to death. Whom God, however, raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For you remember, Peter went on to say, that even David said so concerning him, and he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. See, speaking of the resurrection here. You have made known to me the way of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Speaking of this resurrected Jesus. Verse 29, Therefore, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, because that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us even till today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, that he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. And he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, and nor his flesh would see corruption. See, he's explaining what he just quoted from Psalm 16. Verse 32 says, And this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, quoting Psalm 68. 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their hearts, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, You get to repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, and you too shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because this promise is to you, and it is to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other signs, Peter and the apostles testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. And they continued then steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the teaching that is. They continued in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and of prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, all of them praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. And everyone said together, Amen. <laughs> Amen. Now, I only want to comment briefly here as we have just a few minutes left, but uh, what we see in this chapter and the reason why I read it is really twofold. Number one, we don't read the Word a whole lot. Now, I know we all read the Word in small snippets. Uh, many of us get some time in the Word, but the Word has uh, somehow fallen out of vogue to some. It has been looked down upon, but it is still... Uh, that which is inspired by the Spirit of God. It is infallible and absolutely perfect in its intent to communicate the purposes of God. Uh, so what we see here then in Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of something that was absolutely radically different than anything that had ever happened in history up to this point. Do you recognize that? Uh, that the Holy Spirit was given personally to every person that was there whose heart was open to receive. Um, that God would now come and literally inhabit the hearts of his people. There was not one that was overlooked. There was not one that was special because they were more wealthy. There was none that was disqualified because they had little or had nothing. Those whose hearts were opened received the fullness of the Spirit. Uh, it was the beginning of a model, if you will, of radical decentralization. Now, I'm not just trying to be cute with words. What that communicates is that God was doing something by which he was now taking the most precious possession his son, whom he gave for the life and the sin of the world, uh, having raised him up, having accomplished uh, the atonement by the pouring out of his blood, this Jesus, Peter said, was raised now 
to the right hand of the Father. And from that place, what we just read is that they, the Father and the Son, had determined in their, their predetermined counsel that they would pour out the Spirit on all flesh. That's what Joel chapter 2 says. And what was happening is that that phenomenon and reality was the beginning of a radical decentralization of the church. In other words, everybody caught it. It was like a virus. He came, and everyone who was there got him, and he got them. And that was the beginning of the church, and that began to be a radically different experience than had ever been experienced heretofore. Jesus would now live in every man, every woman, and every child. Remember, for this promise is to you and to your children, as many as the Lord our God shall call. He'll live there by his Spirit. Soon he would inhabit men and women from every tribe, and every tongue and every nation, the black and the white, the yellow and, and, and the red. God is out to capture the hearts of human beings. And let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, God is going to have his way. We see an inadequate church in our day as we look out around the globe. And we've talked of 100,000 churches that are sliding down the abyss to no longer exist. But I want to tell you that this church that we just read about will stand against the gates of hell. You see, God has a church that's different than you and I right now have eyes to see it. We're part of it, but we define it, the church, as if how we experience it is reality. It's only a small measure of reality. You see, the church exists all over the globe. That's what I'm trying to communicate here this morning. And on the day of Pentecost, uh, there, was a, there was a radical giving away of the life of God. Now think about that. All of a sudden, all you needed to do, what shall we do? We crucified this Jesus. What shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit just like we have. You see, there's no holier than thou in the kingdom of God. You all get there the very same way through the recognition that you fall so far short. And when you repent, change your mind, and begin to turn back to God, he does something in the heart. He circumcises it by virtue of the Spirit of God coming and living his life in us. That's what changes the church. That's what causes the church to thrive. It's not our beautiful programs. It's not our buildings. Last week, Duke Lineberry preached on the church needs to pray together. And he asked the question, what would happen if we didn't have this building? What would happen if we didn't have this building? Some of you would be sadly disappointed, probably all of us in some ways, because we love the creature comforts of life. But what would happen if no longer this, this building and property, property no longer existed? Just think with me for a moment. Poof. No longer here. You see, what happened on the day of Pentecost was this radical decentralization where they understood something for the very first time that they got God and God got them. They were the church. You see, verse 21 of Acts chapter 2 says, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't want to spend lots of time on that, but it means you'll be saved from your sin. You'll be healed of your diseases, the stuff that we inherit by virtue of, of sin. Uh, you'll be delivered from all of that stuff that keeps you thinking uh, in a way that's contrary to how God wants us to think. God captures the hearts and the minds of men and begins to transform them to begin to think like Jesus. That's a working of the Spirit. The church that we just read about was, an ex was in explosive expansion. 
uh, through individual participation. That's what I mean by radical decentralization. They got it. If you're here today and know Jesus, guess what? You have it. You're never going to get any more than you now have. He may get more of you than he now has, but see, you have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God has you. And because of that explosive expansion and individual participation, Jesus literally climbed into every person and began to express himself through them. That's the mission of Jesus. That's the incarnational model. The question is, what makes the church thrive? It's when Jesus climbs into your skin and begins to express himself through your thoughts, who begins to, to share his life through your emotions. You say, oh, is that possible? That's the gospel. That's what Peter was declaring to those who were uh, gathered on that day. But here's something that began to happen about after this massive uh, exponential growth of the church, 3,000 in one day. I'm naive enough to believe that can still happen. Now, it won't be by my, our might nor our power, but it will be by His Spirit. I do not believe in a defeated church. I, you know, Jesus, in one of these days, is going to pull the trigger, and we're out of here. I understand that. But I believe that there's going to be a massive outpouring of his spirit again. He's going to awake the giant that's inside of you. Come on. He's going to wake Jesus up in us, and he's going to begin to express himself through us. Now, here's what happened after about 290 to 300 years of this explosive church uh, this individual participation, this Jesus having climbed into the skin of men, women, and children, and they just start telling people about Jesus who was in them. What's your mission? What's the mission of the church? You see, if you're waiting for the church to get it, so kind of corporately, we'll wait till Jesus comes. The issue is what's your mission? What's my mission? We got the same mission, and the mission is to go and make disciples of all nations and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has taught us. And guess what? Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. What does that mean? That means Jesus is never going to leave you because when the Spirit of God came in power, he wants to simply reflect his life through every one of us. The most insignificant and insecure person. And I'll just say for the sake of discussion, I'm that person. The most weak and insignificant person. Jesus said he would express himself through the likes of even me. Hello? Now if I'm the weakest and the most insecure and Jesus can express himself through the likes of me, you have no excuse. Why do I say that? Because that's the mission. Jesus captures hearts, decentralizes us, pours his spirit into us, and tells us to go. Where does he tell us to go? He tells us to go to work. And while you're there, tell people about the glorious wonders of this Jesus who is in you. When you go to the gym... That means you take Jesus with you and you tell people as you have opportunity about this Jesus that lives within you. You see, every one of you are going somewhere. You just tell those people about this Jesus who lives in you. Now, about 300 years after the pouring out of the Spirit, about, I don't know, it's, it's a soft target, but around 295 to 325 at the... 325 was the, was the Council of Nicaea. The Nicene Creed has come out of that. But Emperor Constantine, the emperor of the western section of, of the Roman Empire, created an edict by which he made Christianity the legal religion of Rome. And something began to happen. From decentralization, where people understood that they had him, and they were sprinkled throughout the empire to share him every place they went, 
So all of a sudden, the church became the legal entity in Rome, and because they were now legal and not being persecuted and driven all over, they began to build these wonderful buildings and edifices, well, sort of like we're in today. So there's been a shift then that has happened from everybody having him. Now, they still had him, but the focus began to shift to now it's, uh, we're legal and we now come to the church. Just hear what I'm saying here. The day of Pentecost came and he gave himself to every human being without holding anything back. And then about 300 A.D., the, the shift began to happen by which the church was defined by a place that we now go. Instead of we are the church being deployed every place we go. And that became one of the death knells, I believe, that we began to see played out over history through the Middle Ages and into the Dark Ages and all of these grand cathedrals all over. If you ever go to Europe, they're absolutely amazing. My wife and I have toured uh, a number of them, San Michel and, and um, Notre Dame, and they're just amazing places. But many of them are just as dead as a doornail, whatever that is. What is a doornail? I don't know. Maybe a nail they put in the door. They're just, they're, there's no life in them. Now, how did that happen? It's a rhetorical question, but I think it's one worth asking. Um, Constantine, uh, having legalized Christianity and now building these large edifices, the believers who had the Spirit of God in them now began to slowly morph into believing that church was a place where they now went. We still got that today? Of course we do. Cathedral Christianity was born. Well, the church in 2016 is technologically advanced. You notice how people walk these days? <laughs> Don't we? I got one. I do 95% of my email on my smartphone. I can surf and go anywhere on the Internet with this little phone. I can stay in touch with people. So we're more technologically advanced, but we're personally isolated from people uh, for whom Jesus died. We are institutionally complex, but we remain uh, lonely and craving real uh, koinonia, real connection, real relationships. You see, we're busy and we're worn out doing much, but we're starved for relevance and real people, aren't we? It's time to rediscover the wonder and the life of the community on mission. And I think that's what God is doing. Where this is going, I believe, as I've prayed, I've been under the great weight of these 100,000 churches in America sliding downhill. Has, has the culture just changed? Is, are people just not that interested? No, I think there's more going on than just that. As we look out over the American gospel enterprise, um, I believe that God is actually awakening the church to the power of missional community. A rediscovery. You know what happened in the Reformation of 1600? They began to rediscover what was written in the Word of God, and they discovered that, oh, there's a priesthood, and it's not these few guys. There's a priesthood of every single believer. Ever heard that doctrine? The priesthood of all believers? Are there any in here? Only one, two, <laughs> three, four? Oh, there are a few of us. Come on, every hand should go up because by the Spirit we recapture the essence of reformation that you are the priesthood of. Every believer is now a priest before God. That has staggering implications once we break out of the cathedral syndrome in America. You see, the church will never die. Uh, it is always 
reforming and being reformed. That's a phrase that comes out of the Reformation. See, the Holy Spirit is reasserting his purposes upon the earth. That's what I think is happening. Uh, he is redefining ministry in the 21st century. Um, you want to read what I think it lo will look like? Let's go back to verse um, 20, uh, uh, 42 of Acts chapter 2. This was both the early church, and I believe it is a harbinger of that which is to come. Verse 42 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, in essential, I'm adding some words here, fellowship, real, authentic fellowship, breaking of bread, that means they ate together, and they prayed. And it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through them. And now all who believed were together, and their hearts were captured by love. That's my editorial comment. So that they were even willing to give up their stuff for those who had need. Specifically, it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and some even sold their possessions and their goods and divided it among those who had need. So they continued daily. Can you say that word daily? Daily. Say it again. Y'all didn't sound like you meant it. Daily. They continued daily. Why? Because the church is daily. The church doesn't happen just once a week on Sunday. The church is daily every place you go. So they continued daily with one accord both in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That's the phrase by which God gripped my soul this week with gladness and simplicity of heart. I said, why are you struggling about everything that's happening around? There are massive shifts that are happening in the church of Jesus right now, everywhere she exists. And I think what God is doing, if you read the latter portions of Hebrews, I think it's chapter 13, God said, I will shake everything that can be shaken. Why? In order that that which can't be shaken will remain. What do you think can't be shaken? The true church, where Jesus lives in the hearts of people. So when Duke asked that seismic question last week, what would happen if we didn't have this building? The resounding answer should be absolutely nothing. Hello? Amen. Absolutely nothing. Oh, it might stove up our comfort for a season, but the real church would begin to emerge. You see, there's an, I believe there's an awakening that's happening as they went around everywhere sharing Jesus daily. Now, let me just land this plane that I've sort of taken off with you this morning and say I believe that God is calling us, you and me, to rediscover the power and the simplicity of living out the purposes of God in real relationships with other people. That is different than the cathedral model that the church in America has embraced. It's different than the cathedral model that Myrtle Grove has by and large embraced. That's why we have worship wars. You know what I mean? Too loud, too soft, more hymns, more contemporary. You know, you see, when, when, when and I understand, I, you know, I, I'm, I understand if we said, you guys that like this, stand up, you guys that like that, stand up, we don't, you know, it, it, and God says, you know what? What if you understood that you carry the church of Jesus around within you? And what if we didn't have the luxury of squabbling over preference? And I believe there's a shift that's happening by the Spirit that's causing men and women in this generation to understand this gladness and simplicity of heart sharing Jesus every place we go. I believe God is wanting us to rediscover the power and the simplicity and the wonder of living in relationship with each other. 
the hallmark of the Reformation is a church that's reforming and continuing to reform. Now, many of you, let me go back to verse 42. They devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. They ate their bread, and they went house to house. Now, here's what I think that is saying. Um, Many of you have been faithful small group leaders. Are there any in here who would be willing just to raise your hand, say, I've been a small group leader, or I'm a co-leader? Come on, wait, just wait a minute, keep them up. Now, I know they're not all here, because we have some 20 groups that are sprinkled around. Thank you all for your graciousness. I think what the Lord is saying here is that many of you have been faithful in small group leadership, but God is about to redefine uh, our groups and redefine them around his mission. You see, if we were honest, some of our group leaders would stand up and say, we're as stagnant as last week's popcorn. I mean, you know... In other words, we've, we've done the books, we've done the study, we've been together for a long time, and we've just, we're tired and we don't know what to do. I, I think we'd probably have some honesty if we had some people who would do that. I've been in groups and I understand. Uh, but I think what God is doing, what the Spirit of God is doing, is He's beginning to redefine our purpose for gathering on Sunday and for gathering in small groups. Now, what's the purpose? So we can just study the apostles' teaching. Well, yes, but no. It's also to share our lives, fellowship. It's to break bread and eat together. It's to get, because people are starving for real community around mission, missional communities, communities of small groups that have a purpose. So some of you have been faithful as small group leaders and co-leaders and host couples or families. Um, many will begin, many of you, uh, this is prophetic, or pathetic, I'm not sure. <laughs> but but I, believe it's I believe it's prophetic that the Lord is saying that many of you will begin to hunger for your need to be in community. It's already happening. Some of you are just, you know, where do I fit? Where do I belong? I'm scared to death of it. Why? Because I'm afraid to tell you who I am. Because you might not like who I, who I am, and that would, that would hurt my feelings. So, so God is beginning to um, put a hunger within his people. See, he's not going to, here's the deal, he is not going to let us sit in a cathedral model till Jesus comes. I don't think he is. I, you see, if you read the first verse of chapter 8, the new church was birthed by the Spirit. They were going from house to house. And I bet you they began to be comfortable going house to house, singing whatever they sang, kumbaya, breaking their bread. Come on. And God released a persecution upon them to get them to go out. Now, if that is true, and I suspect that it is, I submit to you that it is, I wonder if God in America is beginning to shake the cathedral model that's primarily hierarchical, that's primarily organizational, that is primarily not uh, organic and relational in order to get us to rediscover the central mission of the church which he came to birth by the pouring out of the Spirit. I don't think God's going to destroy every cathedral model of church. Though he may. But I do know that God wants to recapture the hearts of his people. So God will begin to put a hunger in the hearts of many of us to be in community. Uh, many will realize their need for community. Many groups will begin to um, shift their focus. You know, one of the great ways you can just shift your focus if you've been in a group for a, a long time is to put an empty chair in your group. It's the elephant in the room. It's like, why is this chair empty? Oh, don't sit in that. We reserve that for the people we're praying for to come into our group. Now, with that one little figure in the midst of your group, all of a sudden you have raised the expectation of awareness that we're on a mission. 
We don't come together just to be together and sing Kumbaya. Now I'm being tongue-in-cheek. You understand that. We come together to encourage one another, to share our hearts, to worship, to pray, to break bread in order to identify those people out there and invite them what? Into the fellowship of the king. That's the missional church. That's the emphasis. That's what God has in store for every one of us who has the spirit of Jesus residing in them. God is going to revitalize and reawaken many of us to our destiny and to our purpose. Many new groups are going to, are going to begin spontaneously to be awakened by the Spirit of God in the hearts of people. There's a little book called The, the Spontaneous... I forget the name. I shouldn't even mention it. The Spontaneous Movement of the Church, something like that. God's going to spontaneously begin to grow the church as people begin to say yes to hearing his voice about revitalizing their group or starting a group. Some of you are saying, I don't want to be in a group. You're going to begin, I believe, by the Spirit of God, some of you are going to become open for the very first time to this hunger God's putting in the hearts of his people to want to connect with other real believers. Some of you are not going to be able to find a group to fit in because, A, some of those groups are non-porous, and, and that's okay for a season, but God's going to say, I want you to start leading a group. I'm under that conviction right now. Anybody joining me with, with me on that? You don't have to raise your hand. But see, God is going to put on the hearts of people, if there isn't a group, I saw that hand, <laughs> if there isn't a group, start one. Why do I say that? Whose permission do we need in the hierarchy? The bishop? The Pope, the pastor, Pastor Jim, who has to give you permission when Jesus has already put the life of his spirit in you and if you're hearing him say, lead a group, step out and lead a group. Now, okay, I know I can get carried away here. Let me end with just a couple more things. Uh, new groups are going to spontaneously begin. We're going to help fan the fire to, okay, okay, let's give some basic training on that. I mean, God still calls you know, pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets, etc., to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, uh, but begin in Acts, beginning, what began in Acts chapter 2 uh, actually will become natural and normal in the years to come. You see, as, as, as everything around us looks weird and dark, you, you know what I mean by that? I mean, this political thing, is that weird or what? I mean, darkness and weird and, and, and pressure, guess what that's doing? It's creating a hunger within us to connect with people of light. Let's go with it. Let's go, yeah. Let's begin to start groups. Because what happens is when these groups get out of the cathedral hierarchical model where everything is organized perfectly and everybody is happy until they become bored with it. Who's the author of that boredom? I think God is the author of that boredom because we sit and we listen to people yap like me and God is saying it's time to raise, to rise up and recognize that Jesus has already placed his life in you and start doing something with it. That's my sermon. <laughs> if you're not in a group, prayerfully ask God, should you be in one? Prayerfully consider your need for such a community. You know, because... Interpersonal resources are quite a lot like financial resources. You don't wait until you get in a real bind and then scurry around and say, oh, I don't have the resources to buy, let's just say, new tires for my car. They're worn out. Well, maybe you should have been, you know, saving a little bit called escrow account each month, put them away to maintain your car. Now, I understand sometimes we can't, but interpersonal resources are quite like that. Begin to develop them right now, the accumulation of little things over time. Some of us don't even have friends. I know. Uh, Judd, where are you? 
You're probably right here in front of me. Is he? Come on up here, brother, and uh, just close us in a song. I need help landing this plane. <laughs> you see, there's a seismic shift that's happening by the Spirit of God. I'm just recapping. He's breaking up, I think, right now in America, the cathedral model. God's not anti-it, but when we make it our idol, then he is against it. Remember in Jeremiah where they said, oh, the, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and they missed the Lord of the temple. When that begins to happen, brothers and sisters, it's time that God is shifting the tectonic plates and there's change in the wind. Some of you are going to be part of that change that's happening. Some of you are going to be scared to death of it. Oh, I've got to get in a group and what if they find out? Come on. The New Testament church was no different than the church in America in 2016. Absolutely no different except they didn't have a place where they could meet together and become all that comfortable. Let's stand. Now you'll be hearing more about this as the weeks go forward. This isn't going to be a one-shot flash in the pan, but God is developing communities that are real and are authentic and that are genuine, where we'll share our lives and break our bread. Father, I want to thank you for giving us an opportunity to share together today. Lord, only you can take the meager words of men and drive them in the hearts of your people to accomplish your purposes. Start with me, Lord. Start with each one of us today so that you might receive glory and honor. I'm going to ask some of our ministry team and elders, maybe their wives, just to make your way up here right now and just be available. As I said last week, maybe you want to come for personal prayer for yourself. Maybe God wants you to come and pray for one of these people. I got prayed for twice last week. I loved it. So if you want special prayer, come. If you want to come and pray for someone up here, we only have two who would come. Are there any other elders here? Deacons? Leaders who are able to pray? Guess what? There are lots. Now be aware that there may be some people around you who would just say, hey, pray for me. Or let me pray for you. Let's just worship for a moment, then we'll slip out. We have plenty of time.